But with that, I'm going to pray for us and ask God that he would uh, be with us as we think about his word. Father, I want to thank you for your promises and for how you, your promises, they are meaningful to us at whatever stage we are in life, when we become parents, um, when we have raised children and see them dedicating their parents. Thank you that you walk with us through our life. And as you do so, we can, we can trust in your guidance and your care. Thanks so much for that. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been working our way through a series dealing with the Ten Commitments. Um, God sees you. God sympathizes with you. God deals gently with you, and he loves you. He changes you. He chooses you. Good is ahead of you. Good is guaranteed. God gives you the power to persevere. God gives you the power to be content. The first four commitments deal with God's messenger, um, Jesus, God's new high priest. They come from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. And those are the first four. God sees you. God sympathizes with you. God deals gently with you. God's love, God loves you. The next four commitments, they don't deal with God's messenger, with Jesus, but with God's message, the new covenant. They come from Hebrews chapter 8, and those four are God changes you. God chooses you. Good is ahead of you. Good is guaranteed to you. We looked at commitment number five last week. God changes you. Here's what it says. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. In the old covenant, it was incumbent upon parents. JC, you think of you and Jared, it was incumbent upon parents to put God's laws in the hearts of children. And what the, what the old covenant says, it encouraged parents, tell your kids about what God wants when they rise, when they sit, when you're going hither and yon. And in the new covenant, there's an added wrinkle here. But it says, God says, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And what it seems, the fact then that God puts his law in our minds and writes it on our heart means that he changes us. In the new covenant, God takes responsibility for responsiveness. That doesn't mean that parents don't have a role. And JC and Jared, as they stood up here, they represented the role that they have, but really was, it was really fitting for how change occurs because what they did, they recognized their dependence on God to allow them to fulfill the role. So ultimately God is responsible. And then you are his channels or conduits for what God does. Um, God changes. And commitment six is God chooses. Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 8. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. The fact that God chooses to be our God and that he causes us to know him 
That means that he chooses us. So in the new covenant, God doesn't merely take responsibility for our responsiveness to him. He takes responsibility for our relationship with him. And when we talk about this, you might say, well, yeah, that's all well and good, but what about obedience? How does God make it so that we do the things that he wants us to do? We looked at the nature of change last week, and it involves two things, light and sight. God makes covenants with us. At Mount Sinai, he entered into the old covenant, which says if you keep his commandments, he'll bless you. If you don't keep his commandments, he will curse you. And when God speaks or reflects a covenant like that, it's, it, it has the, the character of light. And thinking about that, thinking about the promises, making room for it, is how that light kind of affects our mind. What he indicates then is that there's the light of the old covenant but that has been replaced by the light of the new. I think you, there are nights when you're out and the moon is shining. Sometimes it's very bright. Back in a little bit ago, we had those full harvest moon, and you remember seeing it. What ended up happening? The moon then was shining, but when the sun rose, the light of the sun caused the moon's light to kind of disappear and we couldn't see it anymore. That's the way that we are to understand what's happened in terms of salvation history. God then made some promises through the old covenant. Those are like the light of the moon. And they gave light for a period of time. But what happened then, God then made the new covenant. You remember what Jesus said? And when you've experienced communion, it says this is the new covenant in my blood, that's what communion celebrates. That's a different kind of light, a new set of promises, and the light from those promises kind of replaces the light of the old covenant promises. God shines the light of the new covenant into our heart. And as we think about these new covenant promises, make room for them, they really start to change us. God chooses men and women to be reflectors of his new covenant glory. Um, God's spirit is directly connected to the new covenant. It says in 2 Corinthians 3.6, God has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. God's Spirit is directly connected to the new covenant. The letter is the old covenant. The spirit is the new covenant, and it says the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. God channels new covenant glory to and through people. He appoints, he opens men and women's eyes to the new covenant so that he might reveal his glory to and through him. Just listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And what it seems to say is this. 
God makes new covenant promises to us. And like the ones we looked at, that he changes us. He puts his law in our minds and writes it on our hearts. Like he chooses it. He says, no longer will a man teach his neighbors saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. And what God's promise then is to us, that he will cause you to be responsive to him. He will change your heart and he will cause you to know him. When we think about these promises, it's almost like the light of that glory shining on us. And as we stay in it and think about it, I'm going to ask you to think about that. Think about the promise that he makes, that God says to you, I will put my law in your mind and write it on your hearts. The things that I demand from you, I will put in you. If you were to believe that more deeply, how would that change your relationship with him? He taking responsibility to create responsiveness. What difference would it make if you and if we could believe more deeply that it's God's promise that you will get to know him? It doesn't depend on you, it depends on him. If you had a deeper belief that God would keep that promise and that in a very personal way, God would somehow make it so that you will know him better. That's what it means to live in the light of the new covenant, to think of the promise and to believe it. That's how we are changed. Um, God chooses individuals so that not only do we understand the promises, but that when we understand them, we begin to believe them and help others to believe them as well. He doesn't nearly want us to behold his promises, but to reflect them to others. Um, there is a verse from the Old Testament. I'll read it from Malachi. It says, see, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. It describes what Jesus came to do. If you have ever seen a, um, like silver that has been tarnished, and you know you take silver polish and what you do, you, you take the cloth and you usually rub the thing and you, and you, and you put the, the, the thing on the silver and then you wait till it and then you shine it and what you end up is getting a, a much shinier thing. And when you look at yourself, when it's tarnished, you can't really see very well. You know, but then you clean it up, and then it becomes a better reflector. And that's what Jesus said his purpose would be. That at that time, those who reflected God to others were a little bit tarnished. And what Jesus' purpose was is to come and purify individuals so that they more clearly reflected what God was saying. So as individuals looked at these individuals, they could see what God was saying, because God's words were reflected more clearly through these messengers. That's what Jesus came to do. Um, it's been said, the world cannot behold what the church does not reflect. The world cannot behold what the church does not reflect. And the church cannot reflect what the church does not behold. That's why 
it's important for us to think about his new covenant promises so that as we become mindful of them, they can change us. And we begin to believe them, and we not only behold them for ourselves, but we begin to reflect them to others. Um, I remember a young mother asked me to do a, a baby baptism, actually. It was by Terrace Park. And, and it had been a difficult situation for her. She wasn't with her husband, and she hadn't lived the kind of life that she wanted to live. At any rate, she asked me if I would go, and, and so we did a, a, a baptism there and talked about what it was and what it wasn't, and we'll do that this morning. Um, but then afterwards, I was walking with her, and it occurred to me, I wonder what God would want to tell this woman. She hadn't had an easy life. And it was at that time I was thinking more about the Ten Commitments, and that's what I ended up telling her. So you know what I think, and I'm not sure if everybody's having this conversation with her as we're walking to the, the parking lot. And I said, you know, I'm really glad you asked me to do this, and what I want you to know is that God sees you. And he sympathizes with you. I'm not sure what you've thought about God, that you might have thought that God was angry at you and he was distant from you, but I said he isn't. He deals gently with you and he loves you. I went on to the second, and you know what? As you look at him, he changes you and he chooses you. And good's ahead of you, good's guaranteed. God gives you the power to persevere and the power to be content. And she looked at me, and I'm not sure how much religious upbringing she'd had, but when she heard those things, and I'm not sure how it impacted her, all I know is that she was drinking them in. Don't you think that everybody wants good news? And that really is good news, isn't it? That God sees you. That he sympathizes with you. That he deals gently with you. And he loves you. He changes you. He chooses you. Good's ahead of you. Good's guaranteed. Gives you the power to persevere and the power to be content. What God wants to do is reveal those promises to and through people to the world. What kind of people does he choose? Really briefly. That's what it says. Brothers, think of what you were what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth, but God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God doesn't channel new covenant glory through those who are influential in the world's eyes, not those who are powerful. God doesn't choose the powerful and the proud and those who normally are chosen to be messengers and representatives. Um, spiritual influence is not channeled through those who are influential in the world's eyes. When Ronald Reagan won the 1980 presidential election by a landslide. At that time, conservative Christians discovered what could happen when they flexed their political muscles. And so authors of a book, Blinded by Might, uh, Cal Thomas and Ed Hidson, they became part of the moral majority at the time. 
They believed, again, because of this newfound political coalition power, that the best way to advance the Christian cause was to mobilize voters and organize boycotts, get invited to the war house, and raise a ton of money to keep the war chest full. And this is in Henson and Thomas's words. They ended up writing this book, and it's called Blinded by Might. In this book, they shared why. In their opinion, the movement they helped shape could not and did not succeed. Here's what Cal Thomas said. Whenever the church is, whenever the church, and again in his words and his statements, whenever the church cozies up to political power, it loses sight of its all-important mission to change the world from the inside out. Uh, As Christians, they indicate, they insist that we must realize that God's agenda does not rise or fall with political causes, that we must rediscover our most potent influence is not the ballot booth, but lives that extend God's grace in the home, in the workplace, and in the sphere of culture. The story about a guy named Bill. Wild hair, t-shirt with holes in it, jeans and no shoes. This was his wardrobe for the years he spent in college. He became a Christian while attending college, and across the street from the campus was a very well-dressed, very conservative church. One day, Bill decides to go there. He walks in with no shoes, jeans, his t-shirt, and wild hair. The service had already started, and so Bill starts down the aisle looking for a seat. The church is completely packed, and he can't find one. So this guy, then Bill, walks down the middle aisle, and he gets closer and closer to the pulpit. When he realizes that there are no seats, he just squats down right on the carpet and sits. And by now, the um, people, there's a lot of tension. They're uptight. About this time, the minister realizes that from the way, way at the back, a deacon is slowly making his way towards Bill. The deacon is in his 80s, has silver gray hair, a three-piece suit, and a pocket watch. A godly man, very elegant, very dignified, and very courtly. He walks with a cane. And as he starts toward this boy, everyone is saying to themselves, you can't blame him for what he's going to do. How can you expect a man of his age and his background to understand some college kid on the floor? It takes a long time for the man to reach the boy. The church is utterly silent, except the clicking of the man's cane. All eyes are focused on him. The people are thinking, uh, the minister can't even preach the sermon until the deacon does what he has to do. And now they see the elder man drops his cane on the floor. With great difficulty, he lowered himself and sat down next to Bill and worshipped alongside him so that he wouldn't be alone. Everyone chokes up with emotion. There seems not to be a dry eye in the entire congregation. Um, You can reflect good news by what you say and by what we do. Uh, God's plan is to create shinier reflectors, to reflect new covenant glory to the world, to reflect that God's promises are good. And again, 
The world cannot behold what the church does not reflect. And the church cannot reflect while the church, what the church does not behold. My encouragement then, spend some time looking at, thinking about God's commitments to you. That he sees you. He sympathizes with you. He deals gently with you. He loves you. He changes you. He chooses you. Good is ahead of you. Good is guaranteed. God gives you the power to persevere. God gives you the power to be content. And as these truths transform, you also find that you can reflect them towards others. Let me pray for us. Father, I want to thank you for your promises and how they change those who gaze at them. Would you help us to understand them? It doesn't happen right away. It takes time. Any change does. But thankful that your promises change us. And I ask that you would help us to develop covenant clarity, to understand the promises that you're making are new covenant promises so that these promises might change us. In Jesus' name, amen.